0: Hello, Julie. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, we are looking very stylish today, don't you think?
0: We are because we were trying (laughs) to impress our guest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Correct. We had to think very carefully about what we were wearing because we were interviewing, I don't know, the style queen is the right word, but sustainable fashion icon, businesswoman, um, just an absolute gem of a person, Kelly Donovan.
0: Definitely. Kelly has actually sat on a few panels for us at the Canberra Environment Centre on sustainable fashion stuff we've done. And I've gotten to know her a little bit over the years and just seen what she's doing and she's just purely dedicated to making sustainable clothes yeah uh, almost to her own detriment as it sounds like
1: yeah exactly and I think that's why like we were careful about what we were wearing (laughs) she uh, you know she she's a total wealth of knowledge and clearly has a passion for this and her stories about why she's doing this and how she got interested in it, I found really fascinating.
0: Definitely. And her business, PurePod, and the way that she's going about it, as we'll hear ethically and sustainably, just highlights how terrible the rest Mm. of the clothing industry is with regards to their ecological footprint. It's pretty scary stuff.
1: Yeah, but what is interesting and exciting is that it's getting easier. Yeah, And more mainstream. (laughs) Like, you know, she was saying when she first started her label, so this is 2006, it was actually... Challenging, right, yep. to find the right material to design from, to design with, to produce everything, to get it all right. But now it's it's more commonplace and more and more people are expecting, hopefully, or demanding even, that their clothes be made in a sustainable environmentally friendly human friendly way yeah
0: the power of the consumer it's yeah. time to reignite it yeah um, yeah so kelly puts environment first in designing yep. her clothes and doing all of her fashion work um as we're we'll here in the hero round at the end and also um was really interesting to hear her environmental heroes her fashion related environmental heroes which she talks about at the end of the yeah. podcast yeah
1: yeah it's cool it's yeah. um yeah it's good it's good people in there it's good chat
0: yeah this is a good one all right well we've got kelly donovan from pure pod on environmental heroes podcast local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing
1: it daily. All right. We are on and we are in person. Yay.
0: It's good to be back at the Canberra Environment Centre. It is
1: so good to be back. And we have Kelly Donovan here. Hello, Kelly. Hello. How are you going? Good, thanks. That's good. Thanks for having me. Ah,
0: oh, Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to launch right in, Kelly, and ask you the question that we ask all of our guests first up, which has there been a defining moment in your life when you thought something
2: needs to change now? Definitely. Um, With fashion, so I worked in fashion in mainstream, like the big industry in Melbourne, and I used to design Barbie, um, Warner Brothers, Disney, all the um, generic kids' clothes for department stores. And I remember um, sitting in my office one day, there's been a couple actually in fashion, I must say. This particular one was a big one. So sitting in my office trying to, you know, do my work and stuff and I happened to land on a Greenpeace page about kids' clothing and they had a diagram on their site that had all the different things that were in clothing so from um, plastisol printing to, you know, dyeing to formaldehydes to whatever else was in that piece of, in, you know, all different kinds of children's clothing and what chemical affected what organ in their body. Oh, and I was just like, okay, I cannot do this anymore, you know. And but that had been kind of the end of my main sort of main career in fashion before that. um, Things like working with makers, so back in the 90s, when I worked in um, the fashion industry in Melbourne, a lot of the makers were local makers in Australia still at that stage. So a lot of them were like Vietnamese families and Italian families, but mostly Vietnamese or Chinese or um, Cambodian, or but mostly Vietnamese. And what would happen is the clothes would come in, they would get checked by the quality control team and then if there was something wrong with them, they would basically be sent away with, could be thousands of units of the same product and they would have to unpick, fix no needle damage or anything and bring it back within 24 to 48 hours. And I remember thinking, how can they do that? You know, how can these people do that kind of work Mm. and be able to bring it back? And they weren't high, um, you know, expensive clothing. So it was for all the big department stores throughout Australia. So children's clothing for them isn't, you know, designer prices. So and obviously the makers only get paid a certain amount. As well. So that was pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. There was no connection between the human factor of who was making the clothes and,
1: you know, the consumer and also the environment. Yeah. So,
0: mm. yeah. This is a story that's only just being started to be told recently, isn't it?
1: we mm. Well, really yeah. coming to the public for now. Yeah. 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 But for me, it's been there since the sure. start. Yeah. And so tell us about your business, PurePod. Is that... That's when you went, right, you know what, I'm starting my own fashion business? Is that um, Sort of like that. Where did you that. go from there? From that so moment from of Greenpeace, what happened next?
2: Well, I I was pretty burnt out from my industry because my industry is vast, you know, vast mm. deadlines and they just, you know, pump out loads and loads of styles all the time and you just had to come up with, because I was in a design role, I had to just come up with ideas every day every day every day That's and it exhausting. was it was really exhausting and then you have to make sure that the product goes through right you know through to the finished article correctly and everything as, as well so it was very draining and I just got to a point where I just like I was like I can't I can't do this anymore I was like totally creatively bled dry and I started my own design business where I was doing textile art and product development for companies so I had my own studio And again, I was just working like from seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, sitting on a computer, just pumping out designs. And I just started getting pain down my right side. And I was like, okay, um, I've got to do something about this. And I started yoga. Mm -hmm. And then I just fell in love with yoga. And that's another big catalyst where I went and actually studied to be a yoga and Pilates teacher up in um, Byron Bay. And that was a massive change to me because I got to have creative space where I could go completely away from my industry and start, you know, working on like my own body and human spirit and everything. And after that, that's when I started PurePod. So that was in 2006. The end of 2006, I bought, you know, the first
1: parts of my fabric where I started to design product. Okay. And how do you see the... The creative process now, like is it – I mean as you said you were churning out design after design after design, like 12, 14-hour days of just coming up with new designs. Yeah. Is that is that creative or what you're doing now? Like what, what does um, creative mean to you? What does it look like for you? Oh,
2: just not feeling stressed. Mm, mm. <laughs> and, you know, like now it's a different kind of process because now I'm running a business. So now when I design something I think about – you know, who's going to wear it, how they're going to wear it, you know, where I'm going to get the fabrics from, who's made the fabrics, um, through to who's creating it and making, actually physically making the garments. And then I also think about the end life cycle of the garment as well and what's going to happen to that garment once its life cycle goes through and it ends up in eventually into landfill as well. So there's a different kind of thing there. So now because I am the business owner, so you know, as you know, with small business or any kind of business, you've got to think of every level. So you've got to think of like the books and who to pay and how you're selling it and all the social media and all that sort of side of it. So it's creative because it's empowering. So I'm doing something that I love and I'm passionate about and creating garments that I can you know, give to other passionate women about what they're wearing and how, how they're wearing it and what kind of influence they have on their planet and lifestyle as well. So it's a different kind of creative to – it's fast moving but it's um, – I feel like I'm part of a um, – not part of the process but I'm part of a solution. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of creative as well, yeah.
1: Mm.
0: And so you touched on a few of the things that make – the clothes you design now sustainable, what are the biggest and most important differences between yours as a sustainable fashion house and the ones you talked about working for previously?
2: Uh, well, it's definitely the what it's made from. So um, it's either made from an organic certified organic cotton or a natural fibre. So it might be, you know, other, you know, mostly organic cotton is what I use, but it might be hemp, it might be soybean, it might be silk. It might be, like I'd use some animal fibres but not a lot. But mostly it's, it doesn't have um, plastics and it doesn't have, um, occasionally it might have a little bit of spandex in it but sometimes the spandex can make it last longer mm. as a garment. So through its life cycle it can last longer. But generally it's the way the fibre is produced and the fibre is made and then I always think of the life end life cycle of that
1: as mm. well. And how do you how do you find out about all of that? Because that can be, I mean, I think that's a challenge for citizens going to a shop to buy something. is to know what's in it, where has it come from and how can I verify that?
2: Yeah, well, I, I basically work with producers that that's what they look after. Yeah, so and also the part of the sustainable fashion side is that we make slow fashion. So you're not making thousands and thousands and thousands of units of the same thing in you know polyester or some kind of very toxic Mm. type fabric you're making small runs of things sometimes making to order for people so you're not over supplying and you're not over making and then you're kind of considering every sort of part of the process of the clothing as well
1: Mm -hmm. How, how easy is it for you to find out all of that information As a designer, like to make Um, all of those choices, is it just it's easy or is it? No, no, it's not easy.
2: But considering when I started, so I started in the end of 2006. So I found some fabric that sounded like you could eat it, which, you know, was really amazing. I had this vision that I wanted to create a, you know, an earth friendly um, clothing line. Not necessarily. It was called eco-fashion back then. So things have obviously evolved so much since when I first started. Like I was in Byron Bay and people didn't understand what I was doing <laughs> <laughs> up there. <laughs> so you think that they would. Um, yeah. So but a lot of um, changes have happened in the industry as well. So, you know, the, probably one of the biggest things that's happened is the Run Plaza factory collapse Yeah. in 2013. So since then… The focus has gone from the environmental,
1: what the clothes are made from, to who is actually
2: making the clothes. Do
1: you just, just in case our audience isn't aware, and we were going to talk about fashion revolution, which I know kind of came out of the Rana Plaza. Do you just mm-hmm. want to tell our audience quickly what Rana Plaza? What happened in Rana Plaza?
2: So the Rana Plaza factory collapse um, happened in 2013. So if you want to look into detail of it, you can actually have a look at the True Cost movie because it's pretty much focused all around the Rana Plaza factory collapse and what's happening in the fashion industry. So um, it was in um, Bangladesh and the factory was basically built upon all these other buildings underneath and it wasn't safe and the the workers were they'd had actually come into the building, and there was cracks forming in some of the walls in the building. Um, and so they were all taken out by the council and mm-hmm. said, "You know, don't go back." And then because they had some major fashion um, deadlines, they had they a lot of them were forced to go back into the building. And some people refused to, but there was a lot of people that were forced back into the building to finish these deadlines. Mm. Like no one should die for fashion, basically. Yeah. That's my tagline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, nobody should die for that. You know, it's just you can't even, you know, begin to think about the horror of, you know, going to work and then, you know, dying in that, that situation. And also you know even in bangladesh there was a lot of people that were injured they wouldn't have had the kind of healthcare system that we had here mm-hmm. yeah. and there was a lot of family members that the husband and wife may have worked in the factory so when it actually collapsed um i think it was like i can't remember the exact number but it was like 1400 people roughly yeah. that perished in that and then there was like another two and a half thousand people or something that were badly injured Mm. so some of those people wouldn't have been able to go to work they wouldn't have been able to you know look after their families all that sort of stuff Mm. so yeah so if they if if you want to look into it have a look at the true cost movie and also fashion revolution yeah so fashion
1: revolution was sparked from the rana plaza yes and you're you're involved with fashion revolution in
2: australia Yep. yep so i'm Um, the ACT representative well I was the ACT representative so if there's any students that um, you know want to do anything with Fashion Revolution they might want to run their own um, special event or they might want to do a clothes swap or um, you know even show the True Cost movie or anything else then often they'll contact me.
1: And, And what is Fashion Revolution for people who don't know?
2: So Fashion Revolution was sparked from particularly that event and it was um, a way of the industry becoming accountable for who made the clothes and where the clothes are made and because once upon a time supply chains were never seen not only in clothing but anything that gets produced so right down from you know from a button being made or a zip or the person that cuts you know the clothing or the person that picks the cotton or you know, there's so many different levels. It's so complicated, the system of um, of creating a piece of clothing. So it's not just – unless you're weaving, you're growing it yourself, you're weaving mm. the fabric and then you're cutting it and you're making it and you're dyeing it yourself. Normally there's so many different businesses involved and, you know, from small to enormous businesses
1: involved in the whole cycle, even down to transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, and the thing yeah. too that it can travel, right? It, the, yes. The, you know the, the where the um, a t-shirt is ultimately made is not necessarily where the cotton was grown. Yeah. Mm. Where the fabric was then shipped to, where it was cut, where it was sewn—like there's just so many different parts of the world that are involved.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it depends on which country specialise in, mm. you know, what parts of that garment, or what part of the dye, or the fabric, or the Whatever, yeah, so it is it is very complicated. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we've got people dying in factories, people getting paid nothing to make the clothes, mm. babies, kids being poisoned by clothes, clothes in landfill that will never break down because mm-hmm. they're full of plastic. Yeah. Pretty good reasons for people to be interested in sustainable fashion. How do people know if what they're buying is sustainable or not?
2: Um, well, you've really got to look into the brand um, and look into what the brand has has written, I suppose, on their site or you contact the brand and ask them, you know, questions. Um, Normally small designers like me have a lower impact because we're not producing as much. Um, There is different, um, like Good On You, you can go to, there's a site Good On You and you can go onto there and have a look at bigger brands and look at their impacts as well and what they're doing. So I don't think there's any perfect process yet. In the fashion industry, but we've come a hell of a long way since, you know, when I even started in 2006 to the kinds of textiles and things that you can get now. So when I'm going to produce something new, I will actually go to suppliers that I know either they have certifications or they have um, the same sort of ethics as what I have in my business. So I have to trust them Mm. and then they have to trust down the line as well. So... Because it is such a complicated um, process to produce, you have to just go to the areas. Like I don't even look at other fabric suppliers really now. I pretty much just go to the ones that I know are doing the right thing and then I hope that my customers can then trust that I'm doing the right thing as well. Because also as a small supplier, I can't go and get my own certifications because they cost, you know, a lot of money. But I do have suppliers that are fully, you know, um, certified completely, like trade certified and things
1: as well. So, yeah. Mm. So you're, seeing, you're saying you've seen a really big shift in since from when you started. Why Why do you think that is? What's like – is it more people asking more questions? Like what's going on here? Um, I definitely think
2: that people – the consumer is a lot more aware. I think um, obviously things like Rana Plaza Factory Collapse – is making big industries change what they're doing. And there's a lot of shift, like the Australian Fashion Council is really pushing um, and there's also like Common Objective in the UK that we're membership, we've got memberships with both that are really pushing big changes from the ground up in industry as well. Um, I think climate change is massive. For me, it's massive, but obviously I'm converted. (laughs) But I think... You know, there's a lot more talk about the environment. There's a lot more talk about just in general about our footprint and our consumer habits and everything else that's gone on, especially like with the pandemic. I think people are really pulling right back to essentials and what what means a lot to them and what they're going to purchase and where they're going to put their money and, you know, buying local. And I think that's really starting to change and they're going away from – Almost as consumers being dictated to by big companies that you need this and you should buy this mm. rather than going, well, I don't really want that. I think I want that, mm. you know. I think I want to put my purchase money to something that's, you know, doing the right thing for the planet because most people, you know, they, they're good hearted, they want to make sure that they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah. So small yeah. is best and information Taking responsibility for your purchase, finding out what's going on. Is it possible for the bigger companies to become sustainable with the bottom line, you know, shareholders, all of that?
2: Um, I think they can. I think think, um, it is taking a while because if you think of like really big companies that obviously they have a lot of employees, they have a lot of expense just to run those companies and retail shops and whatever else they have – it takes them a lot longer to pivot towards sustainability than someone like me. I can say, okay, I'm going to design this product and I'm going to get so many made in the next, you know, so many months or whatever. Whereas for a big company they have to look at the profits because there's people's jobs and employment, you know, as part of that and whatever else they're involved in their companies. And so I think there is a big change. Like a lot of the Australian fashion Council is really pushing for change in Australia and making big companies really look at everything and Mm. making sure that, and consumers are doing the same. Consumers are really pushing big companies to start to change the way that they're producing because we can, like there's no reason that we can't. We just choose a different way of doing it.
0: Mm. At some point it becomes a reputational risk for them and almost a marketing spend, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Whereas once upon a time when I first started doing this, that wasn't even a thought. Yeah. Whereas now it's, you know, it, most companies are trying to have a better ethical kind of footprint. Mm.
1: So, which is great. Yeah. 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 I, one thing um, <clears throat> I've often heard um, in some work that I do um, is the whole education in universities and in fashion schools and actually, you know, making sure sustainability is ingrained or at least taught to students who are studying how to make fashion, which, you know, I think, yes, absolutely, of course it should be, um, especially now. And And I was wondering, like, when you studied it, CIT, and it was a while ago. Like It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> was, long time ago. <laughs> um, was sustainability a thing then? Like was it? No, it wasn't a thing.
2: But, you know, I'll show my age here. In the 80s, um, natural fibres were such a big thing. So it yeah. went from polyesters and synthetics and a lot of that kind of stuff from 60s and 70s into this big push on natural fibres. So cotton like Australian cotton and wool were like massive in the Australian fashion industry and everything was made here in Australia and the industry boomed in the 80s and that's like the end of the 80s is when I studied um, my fashion so um, and I've still got it there's a I've got this old Esprit catalogue and it was um, what was it called it wasn't eco fashion but it was called something like you know, natural fashion or something like that. It was some, you know, completely different title to what they would use today. But I kept that book right from when I studied because I always wanted to do some kind of natural fibre fashion brand. And that's, you know.
1: And so where did we go wrong? Like where, like this, because I know now that um, natural fibres make up a tiny percentage of the global fibre market, don't they?
2: Yeah, but I think that is changing slowly. Um, Well, really what happened in the 90s in fashion was um, mass production. So it kind of went from, you know, designer, not necessarily all designer stuff, but um, Australian made, a lot of other countries made in their countries as well, to, um, you know, a lot of – I remember seeing in Melbourne a lot of family – companies and businesses that have been passed down in generations closed down because everything started going offshore Mm. and then you know big global companies started coming in and they started making hundreds of thousands of units of the same thing so it just got it just kind of went consumerism just went like out of the water so obviously all the natural resources that were taken you know and used and as you as you see now thrown away so fast fashion really took off mm. in that in that time particularly in the 2000s like fast fashion just grew faster and faster and faster and then you know obviously social media increased fast fashion consumerism and things like that we so have got well. a mass
1: production problem and a mass consumerism problem yes
2: and mm. then now we've got a mass waste problem yeah yeah
0: Yep. Well, it's the perfect storm, mate, right? Because yeah. each season you need new clothes. Oh.
1: Yes, I mean Ryan. I've never seen you wear that shirt before. It's the third <laughs> time this week, Julie. <laughs> I was going to say that's a total lie, everyone. He's wearing. I wash the it same every thing. day, mate. <laughs> How do you feel? Though? Like, do you ever go shopping in a mall? Ah, uh, only for my daughter, yeah. really. Yeah. <laughs> These
2: well, I grew up working in a shopping mall because my mum owned shoe shops, and that was like where I first started working. Was yeah. in shoe shops. Um, I do find it hard to go shopping in malls, I must say, because once upon a time, actually in my jobs in Melbourne, I would be sent around the globe in a week and I'd have to go shopping around the globe in a week. Oh gosh. I know (laughs) it was full on, but, and you'd wake up and you wouldn't know which city you were in and stuff, but you would go and you would go and see what all the fashion is around the world and you'd go and buy it and bring it back and you know, show the buyers and then you'd knock it off basically. Mm. Wow. (laughs) I know. Well, that was was (laughs) – I was a (laughs) (laughs) trained knockoff artist. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, wow. That's what they did. That's what they did because someone had already done the product development of that thing and they knew that it was obviously selling well because it was in, you know, Harrods or Debmans or wherever around around the world and you'd bring it back and show the buyers and basically do a version of – Mm-hmm. That particular. So, you spent a product. lot of
1: time in shopping
2: malls. Oh, far too much time <laughs> in shopping malls, yeah. <laughs>
1: and then, what do you say to your daughter now? Like, if she wants to go to a fast fashion chain and say, I'm going to buy a couple of tops? Like, what. Like well, do
2: you... funny enough, my daughter isn't interested in fashion, mm. which I kind of like because I was always a kid that was interested in fashion, but I kind of like that she doesn't care what she wears. Mm. Like, You know, sometimes I need (laughs) to care what she wears. (laughs) But then sometimes she just, she's like, I just want to wear shorts and a T-shirt. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, whatever. That's great. You know, Hmm. like I haven't, even though she's grown up around, like her whole life, she's been surrounded by fashion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I like the fact that she's not, you know, a fashion victim like I was (laughs) back in the early day, but. (laughs) I think it's important. Yeah, but you were in the 80s when fashion was so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was very cool back then, yeah. Um, but uh, probably her biggest thing and, and same with that whole generation is plastic toys. Yeah, That probably does my head in more, the plastic toys, than her fashion. Yeah. Because with fashion, like they wear their school uniform to school and then she might have hand-me-downs. Like I try to get as many secondhand clothes as I can and then I give her clothes on to the next family and it goes through all the, like, our local families sort of thing. And then I will buy her so many new pieces of clothing, you know, when she grows. But I try to still recycle as much as I can, you know, from her toys to her books to her clothes to her everything really. So, I, you know, I think... With fast fashion, there's still people behind fast fashion that need an income. They still have to feed their families. They still have to work. You know, so whether it's, you know, made in Bangladesh or it's made in Australia, people from the fashion industry, this is our livelihood. We still have to earn an income. So I just think that we need to recreate the story back to really back to the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and the 50s where things were made – um, particularly, yeah, probably fifties and back, or even eighties. Like my mum still has clothes from the eighties that are really well-made clothing. Yeah. yeah, that will last forever. You know, probably from eighties down. Really, they were they were good clothing. So why can't we go back to that and make clothes that are well-made that last a long time, and they can go through op shops and they go through you yeah. know clothes swaps and given to friends and have a long life cycle.
1: And the other thing with that too I think is the um, the fun, the, fas- the fun that you could have yeah. with recycling and with reusing. Like, so we'll take a photo of it and put it up later but Callie's bought in this amazing jacket that has been made from, did you say 30 pairs of jeans that you got from oh, the green 30 shed? 30 or
2: 40 pairs of chopped up, smelly old – well, actually some of them were brand new jeans from the green shed. Yeah. So, yeah, they gave me this – probably about four or five bags of really stinky jeans from Canberrans <laughs> <laughs> that I chopped up. And originally the first part of the jacket um, with the Banksia on the back was um, for a parade that I did last year at the Botanical Gardens for their 50th anniversary of their Botanical Gardens and they did the Banksia Garden. So we did a parade all around um, that and then the jacket kind of grew longer <laughs> and then it got involved in... Um, It went to Parliament House for a textile um, conversation about textile waste. So there was a lot of industry people there and um, government bodies and things talking about what they're going to do with textile waste. So that was part of that. And then it's also in a competition now with um, the Circular Denim and Circular um, Economy um, with Alison Jose and also um, General Pants so it's in a competition about recycling denim as well because it's a strong fiber, so it can last. Obviously, it's a long awesome. Time.
1: It is like it is an awesome jacket. I haven't and actually finished it, really. <coughs> oh, it looks finished. It looks finished, but <laughs> but I know, I can ne- I've uh, never finished anything, really. <laughs> 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 but I think this is something that um, you know people. Um, I just think it's a great story to share that you, know, you can pass stuff on and you can change things. You can adapt the clothing. You can mend the hole you can turn those jeans into something else like you don't don't throw it away
2: yeah I get conversation like I get emails and um have conversations with clients that have had clothing from when I started so in 2000 and really 2007 and they've had that same piece of clothing through this whole entire time and they might have mended it or they've changed it or they've given it to their friend or you know, it's so nice to hear like what those sort of stories that they haven't just bought it for one season and then thrown yeah. it away. Yeah, they've cherished it because it has a story behind it as well. So
0: mm. amazing! What do we call these people that are the opposite of a fashion victim? <laughs>
2: um, they're slow fashion enthusiasts. Slow fashion
0: enthusiasts. <laughs> so how do we encourage this? How do we make more slow fashion enthusiasts?
2: Um, I think really by turning the clock backwards and making people realise that even fast fashion, any clothing that's produced, shoes, jewellery, there's human hands behind every single part of it. And there's, you know, resources, natural resources behind every part of it. So whether it be, you know, a fast fashion thing that you buy, if you absolutely love it and you know you're going to wear it for a really long time, then go for it, you know. But obviously if they, they buy a sustainable product it's it has a lot more thought behind it as well Mm.
0: all right let's do the hero questions Kelly Donovan question number one you've just been elected president of the world what is the first thing that you try to change
2: I think the first thing that I would try to change that every decision that gets made the environment is the first Mm. part of the decision so any kind of impact the environment has because obviously if we Look after our environment, we're looking after the people and the future generations of kids
1: to come along. Yeah, simple. Yeah, perfect answer. (laughs) It's 2030, describe the world you see around you. I was thinking about this as I was driving along in my car
2: (laughs) over here.
0: It's an evocative question.
2: (laughs) 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 Um, I would like to see, so I think of my daughter straight up because she's 11, so I would like to see for her a planet – that, again, thinks of environment first, that we haven't lost even more species that we've already lost, that the climate has reduced, so it ha- hasn't elevated, mm-hmm. um, that we, again, are all making conscious decisions um, that of the environment first, so anything to do with the people impact and the environment is the first part of your decision that you make. We're all driving maybe electric cars or we're really fit on our bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, we all think about our impact with waste management because obviously textile waste is a massive issue. Food waste is a massi- massive issue. So we're reducing right down to, you know, a community level of what we use is what we need and help supporting. Like you, I saw a lot of that through covid um, lockdown just in our little community in Farrah and how everyone was helping each other and supporting each other and, you know, handing veggies out or whatever they were doing and bread and whatever, you know, yeah. helping each other. So hopefully the crazy consumerism where you've got to be the richest and the best and the, the most has gone and we're thinking more about the human impact.
1: Mm. Yeah. Great answer.
0: Who are your environmental heroes?
2: Of course, they're fashion related. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So one would be Vivian Westwood Mm -hmm. Uh um, and the other one would be Catherine Hamnett. So Catherine Hamnett, probably not as many people know about her, but she, if you remember the Choose Life t-shirts in the 80s, I keep going back to the 80s. (laughs) I remember them at, you know, the discos, school discos and stuff. Yeah. And Madonna and everyone else wearing them.
1: Wham. Wasn't Wham? Wham, yes, Wham.
2: So Choose Life originally, it was her T-shirt. So she was a fashion activist.
1: Okay. Way back in the 80s. Yes,
2: which is basically the way that I've always considered myself as well, a fashion activist. So was Choose
1: Life, was it a a fashion activist statement. Yes. So I had no idea. I could
2: be wrong, but I'm pretty sure basically what happened is she was um, cuz around the 80s was all about the the nuclear arms and um, uranium and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it was about choosing life opposed to, you know, going to war and nuclear and yeah, all that okay, sort of stuff. Yeah. So but also if you look into her website, her website is amazing. If you look at her website I remember reading um, more about this, which convinced me even more to go down this path as well, um, was about the cotton farmers and um, the way that they live and the high rates of suicide with cotton farmers. So she went right down to that level and she worked with directly with her cotton farmers and the way she changed their lives and, and she really made a massive impact into the way that the the industry had started to change right very early on And what is she doing now? She still has her brand. Um, So she would be, oh, she might be in her 70s now, I'm not sure. Um, Vivian Westwood I think is in her 80s now, but she's like really gone into a massive amount of like climate change, Mm. activism and things like that as well. So because, you know, the fashion industry is the – second to third highest industry in the world. So if you think of like manufacturing like that huge global scale of manufacturing and transport and growing fibers and moving fibers and all and landfill and all that sort of stuff is it's massive and it employs a huge amount of people yeah. throughout the world. Yeah. So that alone must have a, a huge environmental impact. So if we can reduce that down and only really start to create what we need. So that's what Catherine Hamnett does now. She pretty much makes what she needs and what, you know, she won't design a product if she knows it's just going to get wasted Yeah, yeah, as well. Which is, you know, from a business point of view, is probably a bit crazy. (laughs) I'm a bit like that as well. But from, you know, an environmental point of view, like we're only here for a certain amount of time, we can't keep just taking, yeah.
1: I'm really like, – there's so many more things I want to unpack on that. I feel we could go on for a while. But, uh, okay, Ryan's pointing at me to go on to the next question. Um, What's your hot tip for being more environmentally friendly or aware? Um,
2: I think what I do in my own life. So I am obviously, you know, in love fashion um, but – Very stylishly dressed oh. today also, <laughs> we should point yeah, it's out. Yes, <laughs> listeners can't <laughs> see you. Lots of old samples from my studio. <laughs> um. Uh, So I think really for me is being really conscious of what you buy. So do you need it, you know, if it's something that you really love that you're going to cherish for a long time, then yes, buy it. But don't overconsume because I think the whole thing about overconsuming and feeling like you have to have everything um, is really bad for the environment. Like obviously if you've got more money, you spend more money on things, um, I'm pretty conscious of what I buy, um, you know, even if I buy something new because I do buy new things but I'm conscious of its life cycle through, you know, and where it's going to go and who's going to get it. If I can – took me forever. I'm still actually um, cleaning out my studio because I can't just chuck stuff out. <laughs> mm. I'm like you know a crazy scientist in my studio (laughs) I've got to like try to recycle as much as I can through the studio so I think really just being really conscious of what you're buying what it's made from don't you know don't beat yourself up about it but just buy less I think just buy less and repair recycle like all that sort of stuff
1: Mm.
0: yeah Fantastic. So uh, what's the key message you'd like to leave our listeners with? I
2: was thinking about this as well as I was driving over. (laughs) Um, I think there's a few different things for me. So one would be um, be aware of what you wear. So that's one that we've used for a long time. Um, The other one would be um, if it's cheap, it means someone down the line is paying the price. Mm. So, you know, unless it's, yeah. If it's cheap, there's there's you've got to really think about where it was made and how it was made and who made it and what they were being paid as well.
0: Local environment, heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily.